MSW Media. This week, Congress still awaits the full Mueller report from Attorney General Bill Barr, who says that he will need to redact significant portions of the report due to grand jury material. What kinds of information needs to be redacted, and under what circumstances can a court authorize its release? Also, House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal has requested six years' worth of Trump's tax returns from the IRS. The White House says he'll never see them. Can the IRS be compelled to turn the tax returns over to Congress, or will the White House be able to fight it in court? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Asha Rangappa. I'm a former FBI agent, a lecturer at Yale's Jackson Institute for Global Affairs, and a CNN legal and national security analyst. And I'm joined by Patty Vasquez, a WGN radio host who is a regular part of this podcast. I am guest hosting this week for Renato Mariotti, who is working on a trial this week, but will return for next week's podcast. Hey, Asha, how you doing? I'm good, Patty. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I was I was going through all the questions uh, and uh, comments, you know, that we post on uh, on Twitter, and it does seem like a lot of folks want to hear more about the taxes. And I wonder if that's because they, you know, we've kind of talked about the Mueller report for so long. We've gone back to talking about the taxes. What is your sense of what people really want to see or or talk about this week? Yeah, I think people are really intrigued about the taxes. You know, the Mueller report. We all kind of, we know the general contours of what he was investigating. Uh, A lot of stuff that he was looking at was publicly reported, things like the Trump Tower meeting, for example, or the the Moscow Tower that Trump had going. So there might be some surprises, but we also have the general contours of it. I think with the tax returns, everybody just wants to know, what is this man hiding? I mean... He is so hinky about letting people see what he has on paper. And I think I think people are also curious to know, you know, is it is it just that it's going to be highly embarrassing for him? You know, things that he doesn't have as many assets as he claims. Or is it because he's worried about revealing activity that could be criminal? Um, and so I think all it, it leads itself to more speculation, I think, almost than the Mueller report at this point. Well, and, and you know, during the campaign season when, you know, everyone was talking about whether or not he would release his taxes, you know, a lot of people think that it's, it's that they're compelled to or that there's a, a legal aspect to it. So I've been doing a lot of research on this and I didn't realize that really it's just a norm. You know, it's an expectation we've had since, uh, you know, since Nixon's. Uh, sort of blatant, you know, say I'm not a criminal and all of that, uh, that it became, you know, customary for the, the campaign uh, to include the, the uh, um, candidates releasing their tax returns. That's right. It's just been something that presidents since Nixon have done. And, you know, I think that that was really a harbinger of what was to come. I mean, he broke that norm, Trump did, and he's gone on to break many other norms. Um, you know, and I think that 
there's a question on who the gatekeeper should be. So, you know, we can't force presidential candidates as a qualification for office to release their tax returns. That would be unconstitutional, in my opinion. Like Congress couldn't pass a law that says, you know, only candidates who release their tax returns can run for president because the requirements for a president are laid out in the Constitution. So absent a constitutional amendment, you wouldn't be able to add, you know, additional hoops that people have to jump through. But it does seem like the parties could make that a requirement to be on their ticket. That's where I think a lot of this vetting, things like background checks, looking at tax returns, all of those things, in my opinion, that's where it should be happening. Interesting. And the thing about Trump, you know, breaking with the norm is that he won. So it kind of validated, you know, as long as the supporters and and a lot of Americans were like, well, we don't care if he shares his returns or not. And there, I read that there are a couple of states that were trying to pass legislation compelling candidates to release their tax returns if they wanted to appear on the ballot. But I think that, you know, the parties should take more responsibility and require that. I think it's a great idea. No, totally. And I think you're right that he's set a certain kind of precedent. I mean, Bernie Sanders isn't releasing his tax returns either. Right. So, well, uh, you know, ahead. there's a way in which it now opens the door for other candidates to not do it. And it's not like they can be attacked by the other party at this point. Um, they can certainly be pressured by their constituents um, or potential voters. But, you know, it's it's really not a good state of affairs to not no. know what you know what where people might be influenced what their holdings are do they have conflicts when they're entering into this office of public trust that's really what you want to know because it is kind of a window into what you do when uh, when you don't think anyone's looking yes it is no? i mean well because you can present yourself as a particular a kind of person and your tax returns are going to reveal to some extent whether or not that's true. So for example, if you claim to be, you know, for the poor and the needy and all of this stuff and it and then your tax returns show that you haven't made any charitable donations at all, especially if you have a lot of money, then that that public character that you're presenting is really at odds with what you're actually doing. Exactly. Yeah, it, it is something that uh, I, I'm so I'm curious to find out whether or not uh, there's the possibility, because as I said, I've been doing a lot of research on this. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this conversation today. And in addition to finding out more about your thoughts and Mimi's thoughts on uh, whether or not we'll ever see the full Mueller report. OK, Patty, let's bring in Mimi Roca. She's a former federal prosecutor from the Southern District of New York, and you can catch her now on MSNBC, where she's a legal analyst giving excellent commentary on all things Mueller, Trump, Russia, and also on Twitter. So I'm really excited to have her on. Let's get started. I, I want to start with the Bar Congress you know, saga that just continues and I don't know when it's going to end. Um, So we know that Congress is demanding to see the full Mueller report. Uh, Attorney General Bill Barr is, in my opinion, dragging his feet. And of course, in one of his many letters (laughs) that he's now written um, on the topic, laid out all kinds of information that he is going to have to redact uh, before he can hand it over. 
So I think it would be helpful, Mimi, if you just gave what you think, before we get into the weeds of, you know, grand jury material, what would need to be redacted and all, all of that stuff, what is Congress's legal argument for being able to get this Mueller report? We know that the special counsel regulations are coming out of the Department of Justice. What they say is that the special counsel has to provide a confidential report to the attorney general, which Mueller did, and that basically at that point, it's really up to the attorney general that he has to provide a summary to Congress. But beyond that, it's a lot of it is, is at his discretion. So where where does Congress stand, legally speaking, on this issue? Well, I think that the reason that the battle has come down to the redactions, it, it seems to me is that even Barr isn't really arguing that Congress doesn't have a legal right to some version of the Mueller report. It's a question of how much, at least in the many letters that Barr has you know, put out, he, he hasn't made that claim, i.e., all you're entitled to is my summary. In fact, he said the opposite. My, my, you know, it's the non-summary summary. It wasn't meant as a summary. I don't want to release the Mueller report piecemeal. So I, I think that the debate is now at a point, at least, you know, unless Barr goes back, backtracks, where it is some version of the, you know, Congress is entitled in, in its oversight function to see some version of the Mueller report, but it's a question of how much does Barr get to redact and does he essentially gut the meat of the report by doing so many redactions, which I think is what a lot of us are fearing. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, I do wonder about the legal argument because, you know, there's an, I, I think the idea is that if Congress sees it, they have to see it in a way that's meaningful, right? And if there's 400 pages and 360 of them have black bars over them, um, <clears throat> that, that's not, I mean, you know, members of Congress or the public or anyone isn't going to really get a sense of what's in there. So it seems like to get to the content of it, I mean, you know, I think the what what I understand is being made is that they have this constitutional power of impeachment, and that for that, at least when it comes to the president, we can leave aside you know derogatory information about everyone else that they have they are entitled to see the whole enchilada. Right, and and particularly, I mean, I guess I look at this as sort of a quasi legal and public policy type argument, which is particularly with respect to the president who the Department of Justice policy says we will not indict, then unless you give Congress the information that it would need to do its job um, as far as possible impeachment proceedings, if you don't get, if you don't give that information to them, then you truly have put the president you know, above and outside the reach of the law. And that cannot be what our constitution is contemplated. Right. You're saying that effectively then the presidency becomes a shield, uh, which yeah. both shields him from the normal criminal process, which shields him from the political mechanisms that Congress has. And he effectively has immunity for whatever he does, which makes, right. which would not make sense in terms of what exactly. our framers would intend. Okay. So, 
let's keep that in mind and then look at what are what would plausibly how much of this would be theoretically redacted even looking at say only grand jury material so Mimi walk us through I mean what what is covered by grand jury material or rule 6e is this anything that's gleaned from documents obtained through subpoenas up to and including witness testimony so as with many things in the law (laughs) there's not a crystal clear answer to that. Um, You know, 60 covers material that is presented to and obtained through the grand jury. But the question is, does that mean, um, you know, testimony that's put in the grand jury, even if you also obtained similar information from, say, a witness outside of the grand jury, you know, Sometimes you might interview a witness and then put them in the grand jury, or you might put them in the grand jury and then have a follow-up interview. Um, and I, I, th- I think the answer to that is different courts, uh, different lawyers might take different positions on that. Um, certainly, I, I think there's a broad way to interpret the rule and a narrow way to interpret the rule. Um, you know. I think the fear is that Barr is interpreting it as broadly as possible. And the whole point of the grand jury secrecy rule, you know, remember it's to, it's, it's basically to encourage witnesses to be forthright in the grand jury is to protect um, private citizens and, and, and such, you know, here, this is different. I mean, I feel like those sort of public policy reasons behind the grand jury rule don't weigh in favor of a broad interpretation because this is not an ordinary criminal grand jury. This is not, at least as as we just discussed, as far as the president goes, going to result in criminal indictments. And so again, it was more of an information gathering and all of the people who went in the grand jury knew that. And it's it's very distinguishable from future criminal cases. I don't think anyone in future grand juries is going to look at this and say, well, wait a minute, they let that information go to the Congress in the case of the, you know, possible impeachment of the president. So I can't trust what, what happens in the grand jury. And that's, that's a big reason for the grand jury rule, the very secrecy rule. Yeah, and I think you mentioned something that's really important, um, and I just want to clarify what I think you're saying for our listeners, and and maybe you can elaborate on it. So you're suggesting that with a witness, for example, a prosecutor might interview them at length outside just for investigate investigatory purposes to to find out what they know uh and and if an fbi agent is there um you know doing the interview they're going to record that in what's called a 302 which is a investigatory document that basically documents that interview and it goes into a case file which is held you know in the fbi and the department of justice and what you're saying is you might also then take that witness bring them in front of the grand jury to have them provide information so that, you know, you can take an, another investigatory step, like I assume uh, get a subpoena for more information or something. Um, 
And you're saying that a narrow way of construing the grand jury rule is, yes, we can't use what was said to the grand jury, but we would be able to, anything that was gleaned through this interview would be able to be disclosed. But a very blanket or broad view of of the grand jury rule would say, well, if any of it went before the grand jury, then any of it, where, wherever it belongs, could never be disclosed. Is that what you're exactly. saying? Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. Um, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. No, I, I, I mean, I think, I think also, um, you know, the, the again the purpose we always want to go back to the purpose of the rule right and yeah. and the the purpose of the rule is to not disclose um one of the purposes of the rule is to not disclose you know matters occurring before the grand jury so a literal interpretation of that would again mean um only not for example disclosing the transcript of the witness during the grand jury but right. that would not prohibit the substance of what a witness, what what an agent or a prosecutor learned from a witness, right? Um, their own summary of it, as you said, a 302 or even a, a you know a, a sort of compilation of it in, for example, a, a report. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that there are going to be many places in this redaction process where Barr is going to be able to use his discretion. Is the grand jury rule something to be absolutely taken seriously? Yes. I mean, as prosecutors, as agents, you know that it, it really is something that, that, you know, we take very seriously. But I think that, first of all, Barr should be consulting with Mueller and his team in those redactions. Now, he says that he is, and I hope that that's true, but I... I think all of us assume that Mueller, given how smart and strategic he is, would have written this report in such a way that there is a way to disclose it without, with, with the substance of it, the material substance of it coming through without many redactions. Yeah, and that's a great segue into some of the drama that we had earlier this week, which it was reported that Mueller's team was really pushing back on how Barr was presenting or characterizing this, and in particular that they had prepared summaries taking this into account. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, what what would be the significance of Mueller actually having, uh, you know, for each big chunk of his report, a summary that was that was crafted with the idea of that the audience would be members of Congress or potentially the public. And then for Barr to, well, Barr didn't even mention that those might exist uh, in his initial letter, but, you know, where do you think this places him, uh, Barr, I mean, um, after, after we know that? Yeah. I mean, look, we, we, we know it from reporting. I, it, it rings true to us, right? I mean, I think a lot of us were saying when the report first came out and Barr sent his summary, wait a minute, something like this has got to have some kind of executive summary that someone like Mueller would have prepared with an eye towards knowing it would be released to Congress and possibly even the public. So where is that? 
So I think we don't know yet for an established fact that that happened, but the combination of sort of that making sense and then this reporting, it, it certainly rings true. So assuming that's true, that's correct, that there are these summaries that Mueller and his team prepared. I think what it does, and it, you know, this is what I, I and, and others have been saying now, is whatever Barr's intentions may have been, and you know, I'm not going to read his mind any more than people said they could read Trump's mind about why he was obstructing just trying to obstruct justice. Whatever his intentions may or may not have been, it looks absolutely 100% like he is trying to keep this report from Congress and the public to protect the president. That is the way it looks. And that is such a devastating look for the Department of Justice, which is supposed to give people confidence that, you know, whether you like the decisions or not, they're being made free of politics. And, and right now, I don't see how anyone can have faith that that is what Barr is doing. So if you know that there were these summaries and he just decided not to turn those over, not to reveal those, but write his own four-page non-summary summary, then that, that just, you know, really looks like him uh, standing in the way of the facts getting out and him wanting to put his own spin on it, which is... So do you, a very political way to go. So, I mean, Mimi, let's, I mean, for this, for argument's sake, let's assume that's what he was trying to do. Would that mean that he believes that there is a way, there is some universe where this will never come out? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I mean, for, someone, of, for right. an attorney to act, to do that they have to be banking on the fact that no one will ever discover i mean because that's a you know you're putting your reputation on the line i mean if you are really um misrepresenting something that is of this level of national importance and you're misrepresenting it to congress and the american public um i would think that you have some fair or some belief that that you won't ever get discovered and that's what right. scares me. And like, why, why, what is yeah. it? Why would he, yeah. why would he why take would... that chance unless he was never going to really let it out? And a lot of people have been asking that. I heard someone use the phrase the other day, how could Barr be so um, sort of ham-handed, which, uh, you know, like, like if yes. he was going to do some kind of cover-up, wouldn't he have a better way of doing it? Um, I, I think those are all, I, I mean, but that's why I say I'm not sure i don't i can't go back and say well this was his intent from the beginning it almost seems like they sort of hurriedly put out this document to say okay you know this thing we've been talking about for two years there's not going to be any criminal indictments and trump or his family and on that obstruction thing yeah maybe there's some obstruction there but it wasn't so bad that robert Mueller said you know criminal charges so i'm going to come in and give you my view and kind of thought he could get away with that at least for now and that it wouldn't be received so badly. I think since then, he's kind of digging in and getting more defensive yeah. and, you know, keeping it out of the way. And so I, I guess, you know, we're we're assuming that he had some grand plan from the beginning. And look, he's a smart guy, would have thought he would, but it, it just feels in the in the fear, the more letters that come out. And I mean, even his comment the other day about, he put out that statement saying each page had a stamp on it that said, you know, may contain possible grand jury information as if that was a legitimate reason why, you know, we haven't yet 
seen the actual report. I mean, that's a ridiculous statement. Of course it had that generic stamp. I mean, you know this very well, Asha, yeah. right? Like, that's the stamp you put on things to make sure it's not, you know, kind of flying around, you know, give people a heads up that there might be. And of course, there might be some legitimate. That doesn't mean that every single page literally has. Well, Shaquan had no problem finding things to quote for his own purposes. Right, 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 right. exactly. I mean, it's not um, like he didn't quote so, from it at all, you know. I mean, he did feel like it was totally fine. partial quotes. Right. Um, so what about, we don't know, I I guess, if he is seeking to have a court review this, or or would we know? I mean, I guess that would be a public filing of some kind, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think if he were doing that, it would be, incon- you know, it would be, he would make that known at this point, just given the amount of sort of, no, 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 you know, give me time that he's doing, I think he would, he would make that known, you know, that, that he's having a court review it and it would sort of take it out of his hands um, in, in part, uh, the so responsibility of making those I decisions. Mean, it's been two weeks. Like what, that's, that's enough time to get in there and start making that request, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think he is. I think he's he's doing his own. My understanding, just based on the reporting, is it seems like he's doing his own redactions. Now he says he's doing that in combination with Mueller. You know, I, I don't know. Um, it, it sounds. I hope so. <laughs> and so, then there's so, a whole other category. It's not just grand jury information, right? It's also the classified information, right. the sort of broad category of reputational you know, harm. Yeah. To Third, innocent third parties, and those are all very classified to me. Is the one that makes the most sense. I mean, that I you know, well, that and ongoing investigations. Like, I completely yeah. agree with that and understand that. But again, Moore didn't write a report with you know summaries or even non-summaries all based on classified information, especially the obstruction part. I just don't believe. I don't think anyone believes that that is what he would have done. Um, and it's hard to even imagine as construction piece of it, how much classified or ongoing investigations would would sort of be mentioned in there. Is there any oversight uh, to determine whether, you know, now or later that the material he redacts is justified or warranted or even legal? Right. You mean because Congress is only going to see the redacted right. version. So how will they know what was redacted? Right. So they get a report that has like black bars everywhere. What what next? Right. Uh, I mean, I think no, unless they can get somebody can get a court to unseal the whole thing and then know what he redacted. But unless he's going to voluntarily work with them or explain the process, you know, I don't, I don't, there's not sort of an automatic, you get to review it. Um, I, I think they'd have to fight it out in the court. They'd have just, to subpoena the, the unredacted copy and then file an action to enforce the subpoena. And then we'd get into the question of, you know, what's allowed under 6C. So um, speaking of the court, Mimi, have, have you had a chance to read this uh, D.C. Circuit case that just came out last week? 
that yes so, yeah so can you can you i i have it so i'm going to rely on you to get a summary <laughs> because people keep talking you know the the, the law, lawyer twitter uh is is talking <laughs> about this and whether or not this has implications for the Mueller report so can you explain why right sure so i mean i think the the case is mckeever versus Barr. it was right. it, Barr just because he's the attorney general um and I think the important part about the case for our purposes now is actually that the facts of this case, I think are pretty distinguishable um, from what we're talking about, but there's, they're, they're holding is what's important. They basically are saying, okay, 6E enumerates different exceptions where uh, material can be unsealed. Previously, in Handelman versus Sirica in 1974, dealing with the Watergate case, basically everyone had sort of read that opinion as, um, and, and other cases more recently, as allowing for a more generalized exception where a court could say, I'm going to unseal grand jury material, even if it doesn't explicitly fall within one of these 60 exceptions under the inherent authority of the court, kind of a general public interest exception, which courts yeah. have in lots of different areas. You know, that, that's something that happens. So with this D circuit, which is the same, you know, circuit that would oversee any grand jury uh, dealing with the president and, and the Mueller report, said is, no, we don't think that there is this broad um, kind of public interest inherent authority exception. 60 has enumerated cases for unsealing or sharing grand jury information, and we read those as being exclusive. You can't go outside those. And we look back at that Watergate case, and we don't have to, we can't really tell what they were basing it on exactly. But any event, it's consistent with what we're saying now because it was it falls under the explicit exception in 6E to unseal grand jury materials in connection with quote judicial proceedings because the Congress had already started the House had already started impeachment yes. hearings Got it. at that point, which they called a judicial proceeding. In other words, this court is saying so. You know, we don't we don't have to overrule that case, we can just say it's consistent with what we're saying now. So the problem now becomes, I mean, on top of all the other problems we already had before this opinion came out, the new <laughs> problem, the new layer of problem is, let's say you go to court and try to get this stuff unsealed. Do we have, is there an exception, explicit exception in 6E that would work? Well, the only possible one, it seems, would be the in connection with judicial proceedings. Do we have a judicial proceeding? Um, we don't yet have impeachment hearings, obviously, or impeachment, you know, any impeachment process that has been started. So for, there's also the question of, is judicial, you know, are impeachment hearings really judicial proceedings? Well, that was I, my I mean, question, is that's a really odd yeah. characterization of what is essentially a political mechanism as a judicial process, um, I mean, it sort of yeah. looks like a. Re I mean, it's it resembles one, but it's not. I mean, it's it's definitely not in the judiciary. <laughs> it's by definition um, right. being conducted by Congress. So, yeah, that's interesting. I think I mean, the 
I think the case, the, the case we're talking about now in the footnote, they said something like, um, I don't have a footnote in front of me, but it says something like, you know, it's a judicial proceeding because it has the power to indict. So it sort of acts like a grand jury or, you know, they made some analogy. I, I think that's a little bit of an open question, though. If, if, it were, if this were the single question before the D.C. Circuit now in the Mueller case, would they say an impeachment hearing is? Then, but the second practical question is we don't have impeachment hearings right now. I will say now they could, they could start them. And, and some people think that's what the Republicans are sort of trying to pressure the Democrats to do for political reasons, because it may not, maybe people aren't ready for that, but they want them to have to either, you know, go nuclear or not and, and start the proceedings or not. But I will say that the, in the rule, um, and I, I haven't seen that many people talking about it, and I'm not quite sure why, but the rule actually says preliminarily to or in connection with a judicial proceeding. And I'm not sure why people aren't focusing on the preliminarily to. In other words, yep. you need this material to figure out if you're going to have that judicial proceeding. Right. Um, so I I'm, 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 would love to hear from people why, uh, to me, that, that would, might seem to solve the problem of we don't yet have the hearings going. There's still that other legal question of, is it a judicial proceeding? Um, right. But that seems to be what this case, at least there is a dissent, there's a strong dissent. And, you know, if you, you could have the full circuit on Bonk say, no, 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 that's not right. I think there are a lot of good reasons to have a court have this inherent authority outside of the enumerated reasons and succeed. But that is what this case said. That is super helpful, Mimi. And it's actually really interesting. I don't want to get too into the legal weeds because, you know, I don't want to lose the listeners. But, you know, <laughs> that can actually um, the idea that, you know, impeachment proceedings are quasi-judicial or judicial. And I think, as you mentioned, that there could be this also preliminary stage is actually could could potentially also cut the other way because, if Congress subpoenas the Mueller report, if they get to a point where they issue a subpoena, you know, U.S. v. Nixon is one precedent that says you can't, you know, hide behind. Well, they're not claiming executive privilege, but it does kind of suggest that there is, um, you know, evidence of criminal wrongdoing um, ought to see the light of day um, to some degree. Um, but you know, there's a difference that that was in connection with, I believe, a criminal subpoena like in, in, from the, uh, coming out of the judicial system, whereas this would be coming from Congress. But if you're saying that they're the same, then that could also bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, I don't want to th- this is like this. We can we can wonk out <laughs> afterwards on this. I, I find that I, really I, interesting. Exactly. I do um, I do want to ask you guys if you have any any sense or do you think at some point, as you mentioned earlier, Mueller's team is pretty frustrated with uh, with Barr's summary. Do you think there's any chance that, that someone might leak it down the road or even at least their summaries, as you know, it's been pointed out that they had already done the parts that they felt were going to be released to the public? Well, Patty, so I, I, I think it's... Go ahead, oh, go ahead Amy. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Mimi. Um, I was going to say, I think it's pretty incredible that they've apparently said as much as they've said, whether, you know, not directly to reporters, but to associates and friends. And I'm sure sort of knowing, right? I mean, most 
they they know that once they start talking about this to more than you know one person it's it's going to get out and, and perhaps that was their intention i would be really shocked if any one of them actually leaked it i mean that's that's just a whole other level of because essentially if they were going to quote leak it they would have to do it without any 6e redactions the class i mean they can't do that themselves and so they really would be crossing into possible criminal Breaking territory the law. yeah i was going to say yeah um no, and I okay. think I completely agree with Mimi that it's astonishing that you've heard any peep from them at all, which I think tells you something about that that they were probably pretty upset with how this kind of rolled out. Um, and also possibly that Barr may have been counting on them being so by the book that they were never going to utter a peep about anything. So, yeah, you know, that is kind of uh, interesting. Um I, I know that we don't have a ton of time, so I do want to switch gears and get to uh, Trump's taxes, which, you know, is is the next uh, battle, I think, that we're going to be seeing. Yeah. Um, the Ways and Means Committee has uh, requested six years of Trump's tax returns from the IRS under a provision in a law that allows them to basically get individual citizen tax returns. Um, and the language of that seems to not leave much room um, for, you know, it, it says, you know, they shall, the, the, the IRS or the Department of the Treasury or whatever will, you know, shall furnish Congress with this when they request it. Uh, but the White House is basically pushing back and saying over my dead body. So I have a couple of questions. Again, let's start with the legal framework. What What's happening here? Uh, who has the better legal argument, I guess, is what I would say, what I would ask you first. So first, my disclaimer, which I'm definitely not a tax law expert um, and had not really been too familiar with, you know, this, this law before, as probably many even lawyers weren't, um, because it's not something that's used a lot. It's an old, an old law. But having you know read up on it, it seems to me first of all that Chairman Neal, um, you know, he, he sounds he's sort of the things I'm already learning about him sound a, sort of similar to things we heard about Robert Mueller in terms of non-political or as much as you know an elected official can be um, by the book, uh, meticulous. You know, he didn't just do this in some knee-jerk way. He really planned for this. He laid the foundations. He has come out and said you know, we will, like, basically, I know I have the better argument here. And it, it seems to carry some weight that someone like him is saying that, um, because he, he's not put his reputation on the line in that way, if he didn't feel he really had a good legal argument. Um, it seems that even the White House isn't really saying they don't have a right to it. They're more, you know, they're sort of saying, well, you don't have a legitimate legislative purpose, right? It, I think that's the, the legal hook is that Are you for Congress to request these, they have to tie it to some possible legislative purpose, a legitimate legislative purpose. And what they're saying is what uh, Chairman Neal is saying is, well, we know that right now the IRS is supposed to audit um, president's taxes, but we don't really know how they're doing that and how they're exercising that. And what does that mean? And are they also looking at 
you know, his personal taxes, is also looking at his business taxes. And we need to have a better understanding of that to make sure that that function is really being done in a meaningful way. Otherwise, we need to pass legislation. I'm totally paraphrasing this in my own words, but that is my understanding of what they're saying is the proper legislative purpose that they're tying this request to. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, it really wasn't an issue before, right? And you can't even say, well, this is selective and political against Trump, as the White House is saying, because it just wasn't an issue before, because every other um, candidate and president, you know, since had, Nixon had has released that. their tax return. So and this is the first time that Congress has had to really worry about whether the IRS is really doing its job in terms of um, auditing and, and overseeing the, the president's tax returns. Um, and so it seems to me that they have a very good, a very strong legal argument and the political argument too. I mean, I just don't understand how someone can, even a Trump supporter who may completely support his policies, why they can think, how they can think that is okay for him to do something different than every other president of both parties since Nixon. And, and you know, what, what are you hiding kind of thing? Like, how can you, how can you say that you should keep this from the American public? Yeah. And I just want to point out, so Trump's argument or whatever defense has been basically since before he even was running for for president is that he couldn't release his tax returns because he's being audited. You know, I'm not a tax lawyer either, but I've never been audited. Okay, because I do my best to pay my taxes and, and dot my I's and cross my T's. If you are under audit repeatedly for years and years and years it's because there are a lot of red flags that are being raised in your tax returns. Um, you know, either what you're paying isn't proportional, you know, to what income you're making. Maybe there's sketchy deductions. I mean, it's just odd that he's using that as his defense because basically he's admitting that I submit super sketchy tax returns that, you know, if, if it's even true that he's yeah. on it. Um, right. And yeah, the, the whole basis to begin with for him not turning them over uh, seems questionable. Um, and, and, you know, I think also, right, he's not been able to, art I think also that's a questionable basis. I mean, from my understanding of, of, of what other people have said, that there's nothing about being under audit that actually does prevent the disclosure of tax returns while that's happening. So it's one, a weird defense of, well, they're looking at me because there might be something wrong. And two, I'm not even sure that I don't think that's true. Yeah. And it seems to me that one thing that that committee could do at the very least is haul in uh, the Treasury Secretary and have him confirm under oath whether or not Trump is indeed under audit. Um, at least you could get like a real answer because who knows? I mean, he could just be lying about that. Uh, right. And, whether he's under audit and whether that even means that he couldn't have released them. Correct. I think those but would be. Did someone give him that advice? Did someone tell him that, or was that just something you know he made up? I think people sort of accepted it during the campaign, and looking back, I mean that's another thing that um, the White House, you know, people are saying now. I think even today on the Sunday morning shows, well, you know, this has already been litigated. People knew that he wasn't going to turn over his tax returns and elected him anyway, and that doesn't seem like a very good. It's also um, not true because he promised he would release them after he got elected. Exactly. Right. He, he one, he promised it. And two, even people who might have been OK with that in theory, once you see how he has acted as president, as someone who's 
seems, you know, and this gets back to the Mueller report a little bit, but seems um, compromised by uh, some, at least one, if not more, foreign governments, that would make you say, wait, you know what, we need to see what's going on here. Why is he acting this way with Russia, with Saudi Arabia, for example? Right. And I think that gets to uh, the next question that I have is what what is he potentially hiding in these tax returns and what would we learn? I feel like, Mimi, that it's I mean, there could be things that are criminal, but I'm assuming that if there is a basis for pursuing anything criminal involving his taxes, investigators would be able to do that regardless in kind of another parallel avenue. I mean, maybe even Mueller already had his tax return. So, um, you know, I think the the fact that he's so hinky about it being exposed, um, you know, he may have criminal liability. I'm not saying he's he doesn't, but I suspect that it's because it would reveal something else. Um, I think potentially, like you said, that he... Uh, that that there is some kind of financial leverage that Russia has over him. Um, I think it could really put into stark relief how much money he's actually making um, from his private businesses that he has not divested himself from. Um, Or it could just show that he is not as rich as he claims, Um, that his assets are highly leveraged, that he has tons of debt. I mean... I'm curious what you think is really behind the fact that this is the hill that that he has decided he's going to die on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from the beginning, that's that's been one of the questions. I, I think foreign investments, you know, is definitely a possibility. I mean, especially because I think he thinks, even though we may know that criminal investigators may already have them, he certainly feels at this point, like, if there is someone who has financial leverage over him foreign uh, foreign investments uh, that he's gotten away with that and so I think you know this this may this could potentially we don't know but it could just sort of put it out there in stark relief in a way that nothing has yet um, you know he but I think that one thing that taxes might tax returns might show is how how badly his businesses have actually done right I mean half of his mm. um, sort of image and you know popularity amongst people he's popular with is this, this idea of him as a successful businessman you know the great deal maker and um the taxes would show real operating net operating losses and mm. um you know whether he tried to use those legitimately or illegitimately to avoid taxes but he may have you know if he tried to use them he had to state them and so could they could there be fraud in there? Yes, but it also could just be embarrassing for him. And it seems that, you know, the Donald Trump that we've come to know over the past years is someone who more, you know, more than anything wants to be perceived as this wealthy, successful man. He almost doesn't care about anything else. And so if these were to reveal something else, there's also the questions about the um the Trump Foundation, uh, the, the mm-hmm. Charitable Foundation. I mean, the the New York Attorney General suit uh, talked about the foundation paying for personal benefits for him, personal expenses. Those would have to be reported. So either they weren't reported, and that would be a problem, or if they are reported, that would show him using the foundation in inappropriate ways. So 
I think there's just a whole lot of different ways that could expose him as a person as a fraud, potentially. I mean, I don't know, obviously, but it sure feels like there's something to hide, as well as possibly give um, investigators who might not yet have access to his tax returns. I mean, I think Mueller probably did. I assume the Southern District does, but others may not, and, and the American public to look at it and have legal Twitter analyzing all the different kinds of frauds that he's committed in a way that he right. might fear more than, uh, you know, criminal action that he has so far been able to avoid. But do you feel like prosecutors like the Southern District or the New York Attorney General would likely have them? I mean, because as you mentioned, his tax returns seem directly relevant to right. the things that they are investigating on the New York Attorney General side, the foundation, how they were, um, you know, using those, that, like if they were claiming deductions or whatever for these expenditures from the foundation. Right. And then on the Southern District side, the campaign finance issues, I would think, would probably intersect in some, or at least like the payments back to Michael Cohen, for example, like all of those mm -hmm. things seem like they would intersect uh, with what he would represent on his taxes. Is that right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. And, you know, it, it's it's a relatively low standard for prosecutors to get tax returns through a judge's order. And you just have to show the judge that the returns are, um, as we said, relevant to their investigations. Uh, and relevant is, you know, far less than, uh, you know, sort of probable cause probable or cause, any of those yeah. other standards. Yeah. Um, and they can go back pretty far, um, you know, more than six years. And it's, you know, a white collar investigations. I mean, that's sort of, you know, 101 is you get um, the, the tax returns and, and credit reports. So I, I would, I, I can't imagine them not having them. And by they, I mean, all the, the people, you know, the entities that you listed, um, Mueller, the Southern District and the New York Attorney General's office. But um yeah obviously we don't know and he may he may not understand that that may be part of the reluctance it's not oh well they have money way i might as well let them out or right. he may feel that it's different to have you know because there is there are these rules of secrecy with respect to prosecutors if they aren't going to bring charges which they can't do right now against him at least on the federal side um and so he may feel that those are you know he's safe for now with those yeah. and doesn't want this coming out into the public arena yeah, I think that that uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you know, we know that he lives in this information vacuum. He makes people sign NDAs. Like, it, as long as like their real facts can't come out, he can kind of freely create this image and persona that he wants. So I think that that's a good exactly. assessment. Well, Mimi, I know you have to run. Thank you so much. You've been super helpful and thoughtful uh, about these issues, um, and. You know, as I said last time, let the games begin um, with yeah. these uh, <laughs> congressional battles. And uh, I know that you and I will be following them closely and and uh, discussing them on Twitter and elsewhere. So thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun to talk about it with you guys. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking more about it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's podcast of On Topic. I've been your guest host, Asha Rangappa, filling in for Renato Mariotti, who will be back next week. Until then, let's stay on topic. <laughs> <laughs>